I welcome to everyone who's listening online today. Grateful to have you uh, listen in to our LifePoint Westville service. Uh, been really enjoying our series. I was thinking uh, this past week about uh, basketball. I am, I'm a big fan of the Boston Celtics. I, my dad grew up in Boston, so kind of gave me his love for the Celtics. And when I was 10 years old, Larry Bird uh, was drafted uh, by the Celtics and became a rookie there. And, and I just became a big fan. Um, but my Celtics now are in the conference finals against the Miami Heat. And I was telling my wife, I said, you know, this team is a good young team. And if they're going to be a great team, you, they have to learn to get through a battle like this. That every great team has to go through some other team that's like holding them back. They've got to become a battle-tested team. It happened with LeBron. You know, they had to figure out, the Cavs had to figure out how to get past the Warriors. Uh, if you, all the way back to Michael Jordan, his great Bulls teams had to get past the Pistons. They had to become battle-tested. And when I was a kid, like I said, I really loved uh, Larry Bird, and that team became great. But when they were kind of, you know, early on, they had to get through the 76ers in Philadelphia. And that team was amazing. Uh, they had Dr. J, who was their superstar. They had Bobby Jones, and they had uh, Mo Cheeks, and uh, they had, I mean, just a great team. But they also had at center uh, one of the most fearsome and ferocious players who's ever played in the NBA. He actually changed the NBA. His name was Daryl Dawkins. Now, he was famous for one thing uh, in the NBA. He changed the NBA forever. He broke backboards. He would go up to dunk the ball with such uh, an incredible amount of power. He would shatter the backboards and just break the rim off. And so the NBA actually had the rims redesigned to become breakaway rims. So that's why you see when you hang on the rim now, it bends down and there's like these two springs behind it. They designed that specifically to counteract Daryl Dawkins. Well, sure enough, the Celtics had to get through them in order to win the finals. They had to come back from a 3-1 deficit in 1981 in the conference finals, and they did. They went on to beat the Houston Rockets, and the Celtics became a great team, but not until they had to go through the battle of the 76ers. I bring it up. In this series, we're calling labels. What we're talking about is how the gospel calls us to live a life above labels. And in the book of Luke, as we've been studying along, you see that Jesus interacts with a lot of people on the fringes, people who might be like, like shepherds or uh, people who were prostitutes, people who were kind of uh, not the in crowd, if you will. And those are the people who are most likely to be labeled. Now, in the same way that I was mentioning about becoming battle-tested, here's, here's what I would say, that um, in order for us to become effective in the kingdom of God, and what I mean by that is that God has a plan for our life. That God wants to use our life for something bigger. He wants to do something in us uh, that's going to impact the world, whether it be through our work or through our family or through our neighborhoods or through our church or through mission. Whatever it is, God wants to do something bigger than just our small life. He wants to do something that's going to impact the kingdom of God and advance his name. In order for us to be effective in the kingdom of God, we're going to have to become battle-tested. Now, this is the thing. In order for us to become battle-tested, that means we're going to be in battles, and some of those battles we're going to lose. That means we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that we regret, and uh, we're going to have some scars. And I think what happens for some people in the midst of battle is they kind of, you know, when they lose some battles, it's like they put on their, their Christian scarlet letter, and they become, that becomes their identity, and, and oftentimes that holds them back. It's like they become limited by their mistakes and their losses. But God wants more for us than that. And so the question is, well, how do we get through those things? How do we become battle-tested so that we can become effective in the kingdom of God? 
Well, that's what we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 4. Let me pray for us a second, and let's dig in. Uh, Father, I believe there's a purpose in in, uh, all of us who are listening in today in this service. I pray that you would use this for your purpose, uh, that you would use it to grow us, to understand what it means to be effective in the kingdom of God. We ask that in your son's name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to share with you is this, is that temptation is a battle that we all must face. So all of us are going to face the battle of temptation. Here's what happens in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. As we get ready to dig in there, understand the context. Jesus has come on the scene. John the Baptist was sent ahead of him to kind of let all the people know that somebody was coming more important than him. And then when he sees Jesus, he points at Jesus and says, there he is, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he baptizes Jesus. And remember, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove, and the voice of God rang out and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, here's what happens next. In chapter four, verse one, it says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into uh, the wilderness, and he's going to fast and prepare for ministry. He's preparing for his three and a half years, and and ultimately what's going to lead to the cross and the resurrection. But he's out there, he's hungry, and Satan comes to him, the enemy comes to him and starts to tempt him, saying, hey, look, if you're the son of God, then turn those stones into bread. So here's what he says. Verse four, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy eight there. So then the devil says, verse five, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give you all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. So here's the enemy literally trying to appeal to Jesus, saying, look, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. They're mine. Just bow and worship me. Verse 9. It says, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I mean, we look at this situation and we realize that Jesus uh, was led by the Holy Spirit into a situation where he would be tempted. He's facing a battle in order to become battle-tested, in order to do what he's about to do. And understand that Jesus is fully God, but wrapped in human clothing, if you will. Fully God, fully man. Which meant even though he couldn't sin because his nature was holy and pure, he felt all the temptation that you and I feel. So the Holy Spirit leads him into a situation where he's going to be tempted. And he was tempted in every common way that you and I might be tempted. Here's a couple of ways just to look at at what happened here. One is just the appetite, right? He's hungry. One is power. He's saying to, to, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you can have all the kingdoms of the world, right? You can have all the influence that you're destined for. You can have it right now. He's also uh, on his approval. He's saying, look, go up to the top of the, of the, the temple. And if you really want to draw a crowd, you want to let them know that you're the son of God? You know, isn't it written that the angels are going to protect you? Just jump off this, this, you know, 400 foot ledge. And as the angels catch you, then everyone's going to see that. And then, 
you know, everyone's going to affirm you. Everyone's going to recognize you for who you really are. All these things were a temptation. And the temptation was basically, are you going to, you know, trust your way or, you know, God's way? Or are you going to do it my way? Like, I bring it up. Here, here's the thing. This temptation, this battle that he's going through, it's, it shows how you and I are going to be battle tested. It shows what we're going to go through because we're going to be t- tempted in all those same ways. Think about it. You know, when it comes to your appetite, you know, we have appetites. These are things that are naturally given to us that we crave in life. Now, obviously, food is one of those things. But isn't it interesting how we can take food and make it about something else? We can use it to kind of numb out our life. You know, we can use alcohol to excess. Uh, we can use different things to excess. Any type of appetite that's there, we can, you know, give into cravings that are good in and of themselves. And yet when sin enters into those cravings, it can destroy our lives. We're going to be tempted for power in the same way that Jesus did. Look, if you don't think, well, I'm I'm never going to have to worry about trying to be the king of the world. But let me ask you something. Honestly, you ever have someone give you unsolicited advice on how to live your life? You ever have that? That's one of those moments where you, you get angry. Like, you know, you can't tell me how to live. Why? Because we want to be in charge of our life. We don't want anyone telling us how to live, right? That's a temptation that will come on us. There's another one. This is the idea of approval. You know, we want people to see us and recognize us for who we are, to be affirmed. These are all ways in which these are normal desires in our heart. And yet with temptation, there's the opportunity to let all those things destroy us. I mean, isn't it true? For everyone, that the things that have, uh, you know, the things we most regret in life are areas where we allowed our desires to go in directions we didn't really want them to go or didn't understand the consequence of them. How does all that affect us? Look, we're going to face all these temptations in life. But if we're going to be effective in the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that this is a battle. L- let me give you an example. I, I, there's a guy in my life. Uh, when I met him, uh, he was, you know, growing in his faith. And I noticed how he was carrying himself and he, would, he was reaching out to me and wanted to know how the word of God could impact his life. And, you know, I'm just watching him grow. He had a, a girlfriend at the time who didn't know the Lord and, and she had come to faith and I watched her, you know, get baptized and take that step of faith. So here I am, I'm watching that. And then his family, he started having an impact in his family. His, his dad came to faith and was baptized and his mom was kind of on the fence of coming to Christ. I mean, all this is happening. Did their wedding calls me about six months later and says, hey, man, I got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He goes, well, I'm starting to develop a kind of an emotional affair with someone other than, a, than his wife. And when he said it, man, my heart just dropped because I knew what was happening. The enemy was tempting him. And he started to tell me his, you know, the rationale and the points and this and that and the other. I said, dude, you need to cut it off. I said, you need to cut her out of your life. You need to block her phone, block social media, Uh, You need to literally have a conversation and let her know that, you know, we're not going to be friends anymore. I'm not going to talk to you. I need to, you know, get away from there. And I said, if it's in the same, you know, if it's a coworker, quit your job. Do whatever it takes. Get this out of your life because I'm telling you, this temptation, if you don't do something about it now, it's going to destroy your life. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. This guy who was being effective in the kingdom of God, here's what happened. His marriage broke up the wife was devastated. Her faith impacted, scarred. The family 
now in shambles, his life in shambles. How can someone who's being so effective in the kingdom turn into someone who's actually part of destruction? But that's what temptation does when we bite. It's like the enemy's throwing out these little, you know, these little, uh, uh, little baits with a hook on them. We have no idea there's a hook in them. And we take the bait, and next thing you know, we're on the hook. The enemy never tells you that part of it, but that's what temptation does, trying to destroy us and make us ineffective in the kingdom. Second thing is this, is that Jesus showed us how to fight these battles. We see in this section how to actually fight temptation. Here's what, is, here's what happened. If you look at, uh, at verse four, remember the enemy is saying, look, you're hungry. You're the, you're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords, right? You can do whatever you want. Look at those stones there. Don't they kind of look like bread? Why don't you just turn them into bread? You know, use your power for your own advantage. And Jesus said, it is written. Man should not live on bread alone. Like he literally pointed back to scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy 8. Then the enemy says, look, I'll give you all this stuff. Just worship me. Give you all this stuff. He says, well, it is written. <laughs> you should not, uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you worship. Deuteronomy 6. So the enemy's like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try one more. How about, you know, you throw yourself down. What is Jesus said is, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6, 16. I mean, he's, what Jesus did was he pointed back to scripture every time. Jesus didn't enter into an argument with the enemy. He simply trusted in the truth. And you gotta understand, there is a cosmic battle going on. God is holy and righteous. And he made the angels. The angels are literally beings that he made. And at one point he made Satan, who was the chief angel. And he rebelled against God because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be all about him, right? And so God allowed that to happen. And some of the angels went with him and then he sealed the angels. So now there's Satan and his, you know, his angels or demons basically fighting against all that is good and holy. And here's what's happening. He wants to literally cause all of us to walk away from God just to put it in God's face. What Jesus did is says, no, I'm gonna trust in the truth of God. This is why it's so important for us to know the word of God. This is why in this series, we've been trying to get everyone in our whole church to read the book of Luke because we wanna develop the habit of taking in the word of God because here's the reality. You don't maybe realize you're in a big fight. Most Christians have no idea that thoughts coming into their mind really aren't from God. They're not even their own thoughts. The enemy is literally throwing thoughts into your mind to try to steer you away from the truth. And unless you know the truth of God, you won't know a lie. But if you know the truth of God, you will recognize a lie immediately. Jesus never bought into any lie. He simply referred back to the truth. He didn't try to justify. He didn't try to enter it in and like, you know, rationalize it and, you know, he literally said, no, it is written. It is written. It is written. Where's the, where's the enemy been attacking you? Is it based on your, uh, your relationship with God? Is it based on whether God loves you or not? Is it based on, you know, your value in life, things that you want? Do you rationalize sin? Remember, it is written. That's why we need to know the word of God. And here's the thing. It helps to know what the enemy is after. It, if you know his end game, you'll understand where this battle's going. Here's, let's go back to one particular uh, temptation. In verse five, remember it said this, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time 
and said to him, to you I will give you all the authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I will. And if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Here's what he's saying. All right, Jesus, if you're the son of God, like if you're the son of God, and you know, everyone heard that voice out there at the baptism, you know, if that's really true, then look, I'll give you all of this, all of the, the kingdoms. Like you can have them all right now. How, why would that be a temptation? Because here's the thing, it is written in the Psalms that just ask and I'll give the nations to you as your inheritance. That's God speaking to the son. Like you're gonna get all of the nations. And we know that that's what's gonna happen in the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God advances. That every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? He's trying to let from someone from every tribe and every tongue come to worship Christ. God is giving the nations to Jesus. And that's a promise. So how is this a temptation if it's already been promised? Well, the temptation is Jesus could do it without the cross. The enemy is willing to give up his rights to all the kingdoms of the world and give them to Jesus now so he can bypass the cross. Do you see what's on the line here? Do you know what he wants? He's saying, look, if you just worship me. And now look, you and I, we're gonna sit there and say, well, I'm not gonna worship Satan. Like, I'm not a Satan worshiper. That's not what my life is going to be about. But here's the reality. You see, God is worthy of our worship. Here's, here's why that matters. Because if you don't worship God with your life, you're going to naturally find something else to worship. Because you and I were made to worship. We're going to find the thing that we believe gives us life. Things that we believe are worth our time, worth our energy, worth our efforts. The things that we believe are worth that, those things are what we actually worship. And what God is saying is that, look, there's nothing higher than me. So you were built to worship me because when you worship me, not only will it go better for your life, but you were made for this. It'll bring the most satisfaction in your life. It'll protect your life. To, so put your value, all the things that you want, your desires into me and watch right? That's what he wants for our life. But when we don't do that, we naturally gravitate towards things that we believe are going to give us life. And the enemy just spins in that. And even though we say, well, I'm not going to worship Satan, here's what happens. We end up worshiping ourselves. What is it that's going to give me life? What's going to make me happy? What's going to meet my immediate need? And those things that kind of we gravitate towards, we're in, in essence worshiping Satan. That's what Satan's about. Do it your way. You be the leader of your own life. You're the center of the universe. That's the enemy's game plan. Why? Because we're basically saying, God, you're not worth it. That's what the enemy's end game is. Now, of course, you know, Jesus didn't fall into that, right? He's God in the flesh. But you and I sit here, and if we're gonna be effective in the kingdom of God, we need to recognize that worship is the essence of what it means to trust in God. It's recognizing God for who he is and allowing your heart to get caught up in him and allowing who God is to literally come through your life. And as you recognize God and start to put your trust in him, you just become full of him. And that's what spreads out in the kingdom of God. And worship is essential. Let me tell you about a situation in my life. 
So uh, I've lived in my neighborhood for 24 years. And over that time, I've had like many neighbors, some who've been there the whole time, many who've kind of like come in cycles, but I've always prayed for my neighbors. Like I want my whole neighborhood to know Jesus. So I pray for my neighbors and I look for opportunities to find ways to share Christ with them. And for some of them, I've, I've had, been able to have good influence on it. And we've had Bible studies in the neighborhood, things like that. Um, but, but here's the thing, over those 24 years, there's always been a couple of groups that will come in and knock on doors and try to share what I would just simply say is a false gospel. Now, you know these people who go around in neighborhoods, usually Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, here's, in essence, let me explain what their issue is. That they basically take the Bible, distort it, and make the gospel into something completely different. And what happens is they basically devalue Christ, devalue the cross, and elevate man. So let me explain how that goes down. So I had this guy coming in the neighborhood. Uh, His name was Calvin. Calvin's a super nice guy. He's a Jehovah's Witness. He's committed to his faith. He's sincere and honest and believes he's doing the right thing. He comes in the neighborhood. He's knocking on doors. And here's what I'm thinking. I want him to come to my door. Now, here's why. Because I don't want him knocking on my neighbor's doors. Like, I'm trying to influence this neighborhood for the kingdom of God. I don't want him, you know, sharing a false gospel in my neighborhood, right? So if he comes to my door, I'm distracting him from any other door, right? So come to my door. I'll talk to you all day long. On top of that, I get to know Calvin. I want Calvin to know Jesus because here's why. Because what he believes, what his church teaches, is that Jesus isn't God in the flesh. His church says that that Jesus is just an angel, just a a created being. And what he did on the cross doesn't pay the penalty for all of sins mankind. No, what the cross did was just give people an opportunity to live the right life so that if they live the right life, maybe, hopefully, they could go to heaven one day. And that is a false gospel that devalues Jesus and elevates man. That's the same thing the Mormons do. Nevertheless, so I'm listening to him and I'm talking to him about, about faith and I'm trying to show him, no, Calvin, you have it wrong. Like if you could earn your sin, then why would Jesus have to die on the cross? And I start pointing to the fact that Jesus is God and I take him to John 1.1 1, 1, and I explain that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among men. He's talking about Jesus and how you know, even his best friends on, on the earth recognized him as God. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then in John chapter five, it talks about how you need to honor the son just as you honor the father. So I'm sharing these things and how Jesus had the authority to forgive sin, which only God has. I'm sharing all these things. And it's like, I can see his eyes are just like glazed over. It's not, it's not even making a dent. I said, Calvin, I said, do you know the story in Luke chapter four where Jesus goes out into the desert? He's like, yeah. I said, you know how the enemy tempts him and says, look, you should worship me. And what does Jesus say? He quotes Deuteronomy, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. He's like, that's right. I said, so you can only worship God. Is that correct? He goes, yeah, we, we agree. I'm like, okay. I said, well, do you know what it says in Hebrews chapter one? He said, what? As I turn to Hebrews chapter one, here's what it says. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. So he created the world through Jesus. Jesus was the active creator. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of God himself. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be a son. And I'm looking at Calvin, I'm like, look, he's not an angel. 
He's not some created being. He is God in the flesh. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God in the flesh. And verse six, and this is what I want you to see. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. I said, Calvin, I said, don't you see? I said, God commands the angels to worship the son. Now, we know that you can only worship God. Him alone shall you worship. You and I agreed on that. So here's the thing. If God is commanding the angels to worship Jesus, he's either commanding them to blasphemous behavior or Jesus is God in the flesh. I said, don't you see, Calvin? Look, I bring it up. Here's why. If we're gonna be effective in the kingdom of God, we need to understand the enemy is trying to steal all of our worship, trying to make us worship something less Make us believe things that are less than the truth. And to be effective in the kingdom of God, like we need to know the truth of God. And here's the thing, for a guy like Calvin, like I'm, I'm trying to explain the truth to him because I don't want him to miss out on everything that God has for his life. He's gonna be a religious man, sincerely religious, and he's gonna miss out. He'll never be effective in the kingdom. He'll never be part of the God's plan to advance the truth of the gospel because he's bought into a lie. And here's the thing, for you and I, it may not be that extreme, but the reality is, in order for us to be effective in the kingdom of God, we are gonna be tempted to buy into something less than Jesus Christ, to buy into something less than that, that God is, is deserving of our worship. And until we get that part, like we're never gonna be able to let that sink into our soul and spill out on others around us. The most effective way to advance the kingdom of God, to become effective in the kingdom, is to be full of God and full of his word but we're gonna make mistakes, that's true. We're gonna have some battles that we lose, but that's why the cross is so important. That if you feel like you've, you've kind of bought into some of these you know, temptations, you've allowed yourself to become distracted by them or even entangled by them, before you become destroyed by them, come to the cross. Ask for forgiveness from Christ. Allow his grace and mercy to flood into your life. Come back to him. That is how we become effective as we allow the grace of God to spill into our heart. And if you're listening and you've never done that, you've never given your life to Christ, then you need to come to him a first time, receive his grace and mercy. Understand that Jesus Christ absolutely loves you. He came here specifically, took on all the battles, all the temptations. He understands your temptations. He understands where you have fallen, even though he couldn't fall because he's holy and perfect. He understands your temptation. And he ultimately took on all of your sin on him. All the, the payment of your sin fell on his back on the cross. He paid for you, he paid for me on the cross. And he will give, he'll give you his righteousness when you simply ask him in faith. Let's do that. Father, I pray for all those who are listening and for anyone who is struggling in sin, God, I pray that we would come to you. We'd allow your truth to set us free of these things, that we would walk away from the enemy Lord, fill us with your word that we could combat the enemy's, um, his temptations with your truth. Lord, I pray that uh, you give us strength to follow you. Give us your grace and mercy. Lord, uh, for all those who are listening in who have never made a decision to follow you, I pray, Lord, you speak to them right now. Here's what that means for you. That if you wanna receive the grace and mercy of Jesus, you simply say to God, God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him that. 
and then call out to the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm asking you to please forgive me. I want to turn my life to you. I want to follow you. Will you please lead me? You need to know that little step is a step of faith that he requires. That is what it needs. That is what you need to do in order to follow Jesus, that step of humility and faith of coming to him. God, I pray for anyone who's making a decision to follow you, that you would walk with them, you would talk with them, that you would help them to sense that you are with them. God, I pray that you make us all effective in the kingdom. Use us to make your name great and to make it known all around us. We ask that in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening in. One thing I will say to you is that uh, if you just made a decision like that, please reach out to me. I'd love to help you or uh, try to encourage you. Uh, you can reach me at edt at lifepointohio.com. That's edt at lifepointohio.com. Love to help you in that. Thank you for anyone who's listening in, for your generosity. The way you give to LifePoint allows us to continue this online platform, uh, also to continue to do the ministries that we do. Uh, uh, thank you so much for the way you give. Uh, you can continue to give via text or online or uh, through um, you know, the website. Just thank you so much for what you do. Until next time, God bless.